you, worship team, for blessing us with that this morning, us and leading us in worship. And our kids are um, dismissed to, to the kids' table, to Children's Church. They can make their way out the back and have some special teaching time and some fun together today. Uh, thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, it's raining again. I think it's like every Sunday it's raining here in, in South Central Pennsylvania, but that's okay. So, because this is the place to be and the people to be in the midst of, and um, I don't know about you, but I am well caffeinated today. That extra cup, right? You kind of need that sometimes, right? That, that, that caffeine. So, um, so anyway, just welcome. Um, if you're a guest visitor, this is your first time with us, um, just welcome to Table Life Church. We are glad that you're here. We've had a lot of stuff going on that we're going to celebrate at the end of the service, some different outreach events, community events that um, have taken place over this past week because your pastor, six months ago, looked at the calendar and thought it would be a great idea to just have like two or three big events in one week. Um, at the Christmas season when everybody has a million things going on, right? But I just want to thank everyone that's helped serve and be a part of that. It's really a great church, a great community. We're just so grateful for all of you. Um, just, just put it like that. So, um, so we are in the second week of our Advent sermon series that we are calling Seated. Um, the fact that God shows up in the right place at the right time. And, um, and, and really just talking about the, the idea, the fact of Jesus coming to us and becoming one of us in um, this, this, this kind of deep theological word called the incarnation, meaning God in the flesh. Um, and so God does show up at the right place at the right time, and, and he sent a Savior. We celebrate this uh, when we celebrate Christmas, but the anticipation of Advent leading up to it, we celebrate the fact that he sent a Savior to sit among us. And we see that in the life and ministry of Jesus, from, from Bethlehem onward, of, of Jesus who sits among people, sits among humanity, not just a God from on high, kind of making commandments down, but among and with, and that's what we celebrate, Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the good news is that we get to be seated with him around his table, gathered together, and, and, and the season of Advent is really meant to be intentional about that. Uh, for a lot of us, uh, you know, the world around us is swirling with Christmas time and all a million hundred things to do and presents to buy and celebrations to go to. And very easily, it can be, it can be easy to go through Advent and to go into Christmas and to be like, what just happened? <laughs> like you've been so busy that you've really forgotten the real reason why we celebrate the anticipation of the coming of Christ. So it's about being intentional, being seated taking time to sit with Jesus this Advent. And so last week, which was the first week of Advent, we lit the first candle. Um, uh, we, we talked about how um, this idea about how where you sit determines what you hear. Where you sit determines what you hear. And we looked at the prophet um, Isaiah and kind of the anticipation of the, prof the prophets that came before Jesus, about 700 years before Jesus, and predicting Jesus' coming. And um, today, um, I, wanna, I want you to sit with um, kind of the, another main idea, a little bit different main idea for today's message as we celebrate the second Sunday of Advent. Um, and so sit with this idea that you may be sitting too close you just may be sitting too close. So, so to kind of frame this idea, you're kind of like, hmm, where, where is this going to go today? So kind of frame this. Um, 
Lean over to the next person, the person next to you, and tell them, let's play a game. Let's play a game, friends. Okay, so we are going to play a game. And we're going to play the game of things that are close that we need to figure out what they actually are. We're going to look at a bunch of different pictures of things that are very zoomed in up close. And then we're going to zoom out and actually think what they are. And the way we're going to do this is, this is going to be super fun, guys. Get ready. Okay. So this is going to be, so my right side versus my left side. Okay. Okay. So, so I think, I don't know, we've got some trash talking back there already. So I don't know about this in church. Come on, behave, everyone. But we are going to show a picture on the screen. And I just want you to shout out, what do you think it is? So, um, so uh, Nate and Stefan in the back, don't put the picture. Okay, so this is the first one. What is it? Nope. Pasta, nope. Any ideas? Honeycomb? Anybody? I don't think anybody's guessed it. Okay, I don't think anybody's gotten this one. Okay, ready, said, I don't think nobody got this one. Ready, put up the next picture. Pepper seeds, you knew that, right? You're like, oh, of course it was the pepper seeds, right? Right, okay, so zero, 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 zero. Okay, ready, next one. She said cereal? What kind of cereal? Cornflakes, okay, okay, we'll give it to you, the cereal. Okay, let's put that up there. We got the cereal going on. Okay, so it's one nothing here. That's our, that's our score. Okay, I, don't, I forget how many of these I even have, so we'll figure it out along the way. Okay, next one. Oh, somebody, did you say apple? Over here, apple stem. Apple stem, okay, put that up there. There you go, apple stem, that was a gimme. So we have one, one, a tie score. Is there just one more left? Okay, so this is gonna be the tiebreaker, friends. Okay, on your mark, get set, go. They look, okay, go ahead, put that up. It's a toothbrush. Okay, so my right side, you're the champion. We are the champions, or I don't know what you want to sing. So congratulations, but, um, but is it interesting? Like, so tell the person next to you, great job, by the way. Pat them on the back if you're close to them. Tell them, great job, you did a great job. But, but just, just looking at some of those pictures, right? Like, sometimes you can just be too close, especially the peppers, right? You can just be too close to actually see the thing, to actually see what it is. And I think the same thing can go in life, right? Sometimes we can just be too close to something to actually see what's really going on, to see what God is doing. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I get tickets to something, whether it's like a ball game or maybe like a show, um, I I tend to go for what's usually called like the nosebleed seats, like the upper deck seats, they're called like sky view some places, like they kind of frame it as that way. Why do I do that? They're cheaper, right? They're a lot cheaper. Ollie's cheap seats here at the Senators games are all the way out in the field. But, uh, but the, the thing is, yeah, while it's cheaper, it's, it's also kind of nice to sit back and be able to see everything. I don't know if anybody has been to like the Sight and Sound Theater in, in Lancaster. Um, I, even there, or the show that I've been, like, it's nice to sit back because the whole show is unfolding all around you instead of being so close up front that you only see one thing going on. 
And so, I mean, it changes your perspective, really. When you can back up, when you can zoom out, and you can look, and you see things that maybe you hadn't noticed had you been so close up. I mean, think about this. How many of you know someone who may need a different perspective because they're just so focused on the thing in front of them that they're missing everything else? But the thing is, for all of us, when it's you, it's easier to see somebody else. But when it's you, it's so much harder to see. And that's why anybody that, if you see a therapist, you know that you're, all the good therapists have a therapist. Like, even though they're educated with multiple degrees and stuff, even in their own family, when they got problems going on, they got to go somebody else. Why? They're too close. They're too close to the problem. Um, and, and that's why, like, we need to zoom out. And, and what I would say, like, to pick the upper deck seats, to, and that changes what we see and how we see, and especially, especially when it comes to what God is up to and what God is doing. And I think that ties into the question when we look back at the first advent, when the first coming of Jesus, um, the, the question of, and maybe you've wondered this before, but why did so many people miss the first coming of Jesus? Well, I think it was because they were looking for the Messiah to come a certain way, but also they were so close. They had lost sight of the bigger story that God had been writing over the centuries they were so zoomed in that they forgot to zoom out on what God was up to. And of course, this time of the year, um, you and I, maybe you've recently seen these, but you, we see signs and bumper stickers, maybe even like those little static cling things, maybe you've seen that say, what, Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, and maybe you have one, and I have to say, like, I totally appreciate the sentiment. But if we zoom out at the full story of Christmas, um, if Jesus was actually correct, and the authors of the New Testament scriptures were correct, I think, I'm just making a judgment here, I think it may be more accurate to say, I am the reason for the season. You are, we are the reason for the season. And that's my little correction there. And, it, and so, so hear me out. This isn't just about like, like a me-focused thing. That has nothing to do with it. But because without you and without me, there would have been no reason for Christmas. Or more to the point, if we weren't such a mess, there would be no need for Christmas. So, so, so maybe, and I think, I was just imagining this. This is probably like a very ter a terrible idea. But what if I created some new clings like this? I am the reason for the season. And, and maybe, um, you know, if you don't love where you work, you gift one to your boss, right? Or maybe if you don't want to be invited to Christmas dinner, you give it to your mother-in-law, um, say I, and they'll be proudly where I am the reason for the season. But it, it really has to, the, the point is this, that so many people miss the birth of Jesus because they assumed that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming to conquer everybody else. Instead, when you zoom out, the reason for his birth, the reason for his coming was because we are so messed up. We are so messed up and we actually need him to conquer us, to conquer us, but from the inside out. And so today, what we're going to do is kind of zoom out for a little bit. So, so take a seat for a little bit of a story that's going to recollect all the way back from the Old Testament scriptures up through the story of Christmas. See, see, many of us are familiar with the Christmas story, but we're not as familiar with the backstory to Christmas. See, the, the story of Christmas does not actually begin with a pregnant teenager wondering how in the world she became pregnant. It actually begins with a couple 
who could not get pregnant. See, last week we told of the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah that told the coming of Jesus 700 years before Jesus' coming. So about 700 B.C. Um, today we're going to zoom out even before that to 2,000 years before Christmas to a couple who was unable to have a child. And the story begins with a very less than remarkable man, and you may have heard of him, named Abram. Or you might know him as Abraham, because remember, Abraham had many what? Sons. Sons had Father Abraham. You're going to dance for me, do something like that. But anyway, maybe you sang that song in Sunday school. But we're going to look at a little bit of his story, because the beginning of the backstory to Christmas, zooming out, really starts the story with, with sitting in surprise, sitting in surprise. And we see that in Genesis chapter 12, all the way back in the book of Genesis. So the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So the Lord, God makes an appearance to Abraham. And, and actually, you know what? We don't really know why God chose Abraham. We don't really know why God chose Joseph and Mary either. But what we do know is that in ancient times, a person's country, people, and their household, they were all their, their support system and their means of security and protection. And so God, when, when he appears to Abram, and when he calls him, he, he essentially says to this guy, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave all your sources of security. Like, imagine that. And he says, and here's what I'm going to do for you if you follow. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great nation. And what's interesting is, and maybe you know this, you've heard this story before, is that Abraham is no youngin'. He's 75. He has a bad back. He's been to PT sessions over and over and over, right? Like, no, I'm just kidding on that part. But seriously, he's, he's an old man. He's 75 years old. And he's probably thinking when God is saying this to him, like, I'd be happy. I'd just be happy to be a great-grandfather, God. I don't know about this nation thing. <laughs> like, I'd be happy just to, like, to have a child and, like, to have, like, a family and stuff. Like, like, I don't know about this nation thing. But then God continues. The promise goes on. And so verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation. And then he says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be what? A blessing. You will be a blessing. See, the reason many of us have heard of the story of Abraham before today is because the promise that God made to him actually came true. It came true. But, but, but then he doesn't stop there, though. God doesn't stop there. He goes on to promise the next thing something that was impossible, unthinkable, and unimaginable. And he says this, hold on to your seatbelts. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people on earth. All people on earth will be blessed through you. So if you have your sermon notes, if you want to like highlight that, underline that, circle that, star that. Because the one thing we have to realize is that in ancient times, people did not bless one another. You know what they did to one another? They conquered one another, they enslaved one another, and they plundered one another. And other religions, gods, the pagan religions, their gods did those things too. That was what the expectation was. But imagine that, this crazy, impossible idea 
that God proposes to Abraham, in spite of that, the craziness of it, the surprise of it, we're told Abraham obeyed God. And he left everything. He left his, all of his security to follow what God was asking of him. But then we see what happens is that even though Abraham is obedient to God, maybe you need to hear this say, even though he was obedient to God, Abraham did not live to see the promise fulfilled. Abraham did not live to see the promise fulfilled. See, he and, and his wife Sarah, they, they, they have a son named Isaac, Isaac, which then begins the story of one of the most dysfunctional families that you can ever imagine. Okay, so if you thought your family has some dysfunction, you need to go back to Genesis. Go read some of that. Because, you know, have you ever wondered, like, have I gone so far, done so much craziness that God could never use me? Well, go to the story of Abraham and his entire family. It's totally messed up. Totally messed up. So, so Isaac, we see he has sons. And the sons hate one another. They hate one another. They literally go to war with one another. And then we see one of the sons of Jacob, he goes on and he has 12 sons. And Jacob's not like the best guy either. And he has 12 sons. And among the 12 sons, one of the 11, they sell their one brother into slavery. Like who does that, right? Maybe you've thought of doing that to a sibling when you were eight. But think about that. It's just crazy. So no, early on, we see that nobody, nobody in Abraham's family was being blessed at all was any kind of source of even looking like a blessing. You know what they were? They were a mess. They were a mess. See, the family eventually ends up in Egypt where they become slaves. They're slaves. And, and so they're as a slave nation and they become a, a slave state. And then hundreds of years later, think about the hundreds of years later, God sends this man named Moses. He calls this man Moses. You've seen the movie, right? It's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. That, that Moses, he's sent to lead the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. But we see in this whole part of the story, even when they reach the promised land under Joshua, we see that the nations are not feeling very blessed. Imagine that. Imagine Egypt, they're not feeling very blessed by these people. They're just feeling very mad. The Canaanites... The Canaanites and their people around there, they were not feeling very blessed. And it goes on and on and on and on. And pretty soon the nation of Israel, they just become focused on themselves, becoming more and more like the people, what, around them. See, this part of the story turns them into their old seats. They go start sitting in their old seats, the seats they were before God had called Abraham. The seats that everybody else was sitting in. They returned to sit in their old seats. Have you ever returned to sit in an old seat, right? Like, like you, you knew something better. I'm talking about like, hey, you moved on and you got healthy or that your life moved in a good direction and you saw those behaviors and habits and all. But then that one trigger thing, what did it do? It pulled you right back. Right back to that place you were when you were five, when you were 12, when you were 23, that place wherever it was, you sat in your old seats. It's a part of what we do. <laughs> See, the people in this time, they had forgotten about God's call to Abraham. They, they wanted their security. Instead of leaving their security to depend on God, they went back to the things of their security. And what did they start to do? They started to zoom in on themselves taking care of themselves. And we're creatures of habit, right? We sit in the same seats. 
You'll even sit in a broken seat because it's your seat. You know, sometimes in churches, I don't know if you've ever been in a church before, like maybe you've been a guest or you've gone with grandma or whatever, and you come down and you're looking around and you go and take a seat. I once had a friend of mine that did that. Um, she was visiting her grandparents for the weekend and sat in the seat. And actually some lady came up next to her and tapped her on the shoulder and she said, oh, hi, good morning. And she's like, you're in my seat, right? Like we do that. We do that. Even in church, we tend to do that. Um, but, but you think about this. Had you paused, had you paused the story of God at this point, you would not have seen any blessing happening at all. Have you paused the story at this point? You wouldn't see any blessing, any potential happening, any potential for any kind of blessing. Because a thousand years go by after this, and I don't know um, if, you know, reflect a thousand years ago. Do you guys know what happened in the year 1023? Anybody? I have no idea, by the way. So, but, but think about it, a thousand years. That was a thousand years ago. So think about that. A thousand years went by from this time. And, and so we see a thousand years go by and Israel becomes a kingdom. They've forgotten a lot of things. They become a kingdom. Who were they about blessing? Themselves. Themselves as a source of blessing. They don't bless any nation around them. Instead, what do they do? They go to war with every nation around them time and time again, and they become like the nations around them. They see what they're doing over there and say, oh, well, we want some of that. That looks kind of nice. We're going to go with them. Oh, they're really, really pretty. Oh, they got this going on. Oh, there's some neat little worship things going on over there. Okay, let's just like take those pieces and, and bring those things in. And so they become like the nations around them. And what happens is Israel they eventually divide over that to a north and a south. And they're all becoming unfaithful to God because they're resting their security in themselves. They don't even realize it. They don't even realize they've forgotten the promise. They've forgotten the promise all the way back in Abraham and what their call and their purpose and why they're here in the first place, what it was. And then there's a golden age, of course, uh, you guys know King David? King David rises to power. Talk about another family that's like really like messed up. Look at that story. But then he has a son named Solomon, and it's known as the golden age of Israel. The golden age, everybody's happy. There's a chicken in every pot. There's, there's all sorts of things that are going right, that are going right, that are going right. That was their opportunity, friends, but they squandered it. They used it for themselves instead of being a blessing to those around them. They squandered it and kept it inside. I don't know about you, but maybe when you were a kid, um, you know, maybe you had some certain TV shows that you liked to watch. Um, Do you ever sit really close to the TV set? I don't know. Growing up, we had the, um, the old TV set that, like, it was, like, that big. It probably it weighed, like, a ton or so. It was sitting in the, like, living room area and had the old tubes in the back. And, and, and so, we, like, we were playing video games or, like, like sitting, like, you'd sit real close and you could see the little dots in the thing. And then what did, what did like, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, what did the adults in your life, what did they yell at you? You're sitting too close, right? Why? You're going to, like, get cancer or there's going to be, like, you know, you're going to lose your sight or whatever. Like, you need to back up. And I don't know how true that is and how many studies have actually been done about those types of things. But there is some truth there because sitting too close, even to something good, can become harmful. Sitting too close, being too close, too involved. And so, yet God, 
See, God's side of the story is a little bit different, though, than the people's story. See, God is the promise keeper. We have a promise-keeping God, a God who sends prophets then to remind the people that they've gone astray. But, but, but how is that going to work, right? If you pause the story at this point, how is it going to work? Israel can't get along. They can't save themselves, they let alone to be a light to anybody else or show them the way. Well, in the year 436, 436 B.C., God sends another prophet. Isaiah was 700, 436 B.C., Isaiah, God sends another prophet, a prophet named Malachi. Malachi, you're the last book in your Old Testament. Malachi. And, and the people that would hear his words would think them absolutely impossible. Because what does Malachi say? Malachi 1.11. He says this on behalf of God. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. A reminder that would seem impossible sitting in impossibility, that the people at the time would have heard that and said, well, that's kind of messed up. Like, I don't see it. I don't see it, God. I, I don't see it being like, nope, right? And they, nobody would have taken that seriously at all. See, the nation of Israel had already been overrun by the Assyrians, already been overrun by another conquering power, a second time, the Babylonians. And then a third time, the Persians came in and conquered them. So they were a conquered people like three times over here already. Nobody would have said, my, great would be, my name would be great among the nations, right? And that's the last book in that we have in the Old Testament Scriptures, the last time that we're told that, that God speaks. And it's 436 B.C. Like, there's a lot of time in there between what we know is the birth of Jesus. A lot had happened. And, and, and so a lot did happen historically to add insult to injury. The year 63 B.C., 63 B.C., a man named Pompey, he storms Jerusalem. He comes in as the conquering power, as the general. He murders half of the priesthood in the temple. He destroys the temple. He annexes that entire region and calls it part of the Roman Empire, the Republic of Rome. He takes over. Like these conquered people, three times over, were taken over once again. And so begins the famous Roman occupation of Judea and Galilee. The end, no hope. Nothing like Malachi, bant, you're wrong. So, because clearly, if you hit the pause button at that part in the story, once again, God had not spoken in hundreds of years. Like, if you hit the pause button, three things would have been absolutely clear. Number one, all the nations would not be blessed through Abraham. Number two, Israel would never be a light to the Gentiles. And number three, God would never be worshipped through the world because nobody was interested in a God who was too weak to take care of his own people. Had you paused it there? Those are the things that you would have thought. And, and from then, then things were as hopeless as possible. The promise was forgotten, and everybody zoomed in on themselves. But that's exactly when God moved. God moved. See, if you're sitting too close, you can't see it. But from the upper deck seats, you do. See, sitting in the upper deck seats, this is how the Apostle Paul wrote about it. Years after the coming of Jesus, he put it like this in his letter to the Galatians. He said, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we may receive adoption to sonship. In other words, in this mess, this mess, this mess, this mess, this mess, in this mess, at each point when it seemed like God was done, God moved. 
If we zoom out on the context here of what was happening in around what we call year zero, once again, the calendars were a little bit different back then, but if we zoom out in the context, we see that Jesus entered the scene in an expanding influential empire where people spoke a common language that could be translated, that could be transported from person to person and place to place. There was a highway system, Roman roads. There was a seaport system connecting nations and population centers that connected everywhere around the known world. And there were common people working every aspect of that. Boom, setting the stage for the news of this baby born in Bethlehem. The news that would be good, that was a fulfillment of a promise. News that would then take place of a man who was the expected prophet or Messiah of coming. News that would spread throughout the world like that, like wildfire. Because Luke tells us, Right into the midst of that mess, Luke says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel tells Mary, will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they were to call him Jesus, and then he'll be great. And again, how great will he be? Well, the angel says, he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So God kept his promise. Israel would in fact, going all the way back, would become a light to the world. But if you stop, friends, if you stop at any of those places in the story, if you do so much as pause, you're way too close to see any of it. At any of those points along the way, it's hard to see that anything from God would be possible. But from the upper deck, you see a different story. A story of a God who time and time again never gives up on people. A story of redemption, of a promise-keeping God. A God who warns us not to look too small or to think too small. Because, friends, I think sometimes you're just sitting too close. Are you sitting too close? That's my question. Are you sitting too close? You know, is there something in you that others care about you, have been telling you about, and yet you're sitting too close to it that you still don't see it? Are you sitting too close, maybe in a family situation, or a relationship, or a friendship? Are you sitting too close in, in a pile of negativity? Are you sitting too close, camped out in impossibility? Convinced that you can't make a difference or you can't be a blessing. In a life of faith, are you sitting too close and you begin to doubt that God because you have exact expectations on how God should work? Are you sitting too close to one scene, one play, one chapter? This Advent, friends, do you need to change seats to the upper deck and begin to listen there? Because the good news is, Just as starting all the way back with Abraham, through the centuries, through the prophets, through many broken, messed up people, people that did great things, people that did very wrong things, the good news is Jesus, too, came for you. He came for me. He came for us. He works through the messes, including us, as part of that backstory of grace, the backstory of Christmas. And he invites us to zoom out a little bit, to look around to sit with him. Let's pray.